Porch, how we doing? Yeah, it is great to be with you. I love my porch friends, especially in the summer. Hello, friends that are watching online. We are in the middle of a series, or maybe towards the end of a series, called The Remnant. And we've been talking about things that are true. My name is Todd, by the way. I'm one of the guys that hangs out here at Watermark, and we're glad you're with us. But this series, The Remnant, we've been talking about what is left. The remnant is a word that comes from a, a, a French word from the 1500s that just basically means the remainder, all right? It's just exactly what it says. The remanoir is the word. And it means kind of what was left of a curtain when you cut... Um, a curtain out of a big piece of cloth, what was left, the French said, is this is the remaining piece, the, the little um, remnant. It means what is left over, what remains, is how it came into English. And so we've been talking about what should remain and what should be true of those who are going to be faithful to the end. We've been having a blast talking about the marks of the remnant. Tonight I'm going to give you four things, very simple. And that is this, simply this, the remnant sees what others do not see. And the remnant shines when others are not shining. And the remnant speaks when others will not speak. And the remnant stands when others cannot stand. Now look, I, I, when we started to do this series and put it together, I was just like, man, I, I, I can't wait to have a moment to grab my friends and talk to them because what our country needs now is a remnant. We need some individuals that are standing strong as the whole world drifts away from understanding an orthodoxy when we start to call good evil and evil good. We need a remnant, people that are courageous and people that are strong and people of conviction. Otherwise, we're going to be in a whole world of hurt. Um, one guy a long time ago said this, that it is the final sign of imbecility in a people that it calls cats, dogs, and describes the sun as the moon. I've talked about this here before. When, when um, somebody walks up to you and, and they uh, look at a dog and they go, hey, we're going to call that tail another leg. And then they look at you and they say, so therefore, how many legs does a dog have? Your response should be four. I don't really care what you call that tail. It's still got four legs. And the remnant has got to be a group of people that stand courageously. But we ought also be a people that understand why we can stand courageously and why we can see things that we see. So let's pray, and we're going to learn about those four things. Here we go. Father, I pray that as we reflect tonight on who the remnant is and what the remnant does and how the remnant live, and frankly, how the remnant are ready to die, that you would stiffen our spines and that you would show us things that are true. Lord, I thank you that you're not just true, that you're good. And when we begin to follow you in all the ways that you have told us to, it leads to blessing. Father, we thank you that you're a God that doesn't want to just call us to a way of life to show how strong you are. You call us to something because you strongly love us and you want it to go well with us. And it won't go well with us when we live victims of lies. And so steal our hearts with truth, tune our hearts towards the grace of a loving father who wants us to flourish. Let us be a remnant that causes human flourishing wherever we are in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that's what I want to tell you about God is he wants you to flourish. He wants you to be a blessed people. He wants you to be a people that is, uh, serve as a source of blessing to others. But you won't ever flourish if you live according to false ideas. Right? Ideas have consequences, and bad ideas have victims. Jesus said you should know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The scripture says false teachers come to steal, kill, and destroy. The father of lies wants you to go a different direction because he hates God, and God loves you, and so he wants to deceive you. And you live in a land where more and more truth is on trial. And when you speak truth as the remnant, it's going to sound like hate because Truth always sounds like hate to those who hate the truth. And so my prayer tonight is as a result of us hanging out together is that the remnant in this room sees things that they need to see, shines and lives in a way that they need to live, speaks things that they need to speak, and stands strong all the way to the end because we don't know what's coming. But what's great, we know what will come of us no matter what's coming in the world that we live in. Let me just start with um, just, just a good reminder to us, because 
Uh, people who know Jesus ought to be the most humble people on the face of the earth. I think there's a, a mistake that's often made that sometimes um, individuals who have come to know who God is, they think that they're smarter than others or the world thinks that they, we think we're better than others, and that can never be the case. We're individuals that God in his kindness has drawn out of darkness into his marvelous light. There's a little verse in Matthew, and it comes in Matthew chapter six, and it's kind of an obscure verse. It's tucked around some other verses we're not gonna look at, but I just wanna share this with you. It's in Matthew chapter six, verse 22. I'm gonna give you an illustration that'll help you understand why to be hum- we ought to be humble. It says this, the eye is the lamp of the body. So then if your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, Your whole body will be full of darkness. And if the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? And what this is basically talking about when Jesus says this, because it's kind of um, confusing uh, poetic language. What he's saying here is how you view the world is going to determine how you flourish or how you suffer in the world. And if if you perceive the world wrongly, if you don't have a lens that is clear, you're not going to be able to have truth flood into you. In other words, if the filter through which you process what you see and the world that you live in isn't um, a biblically informed, a theologically informed filter, then it's going to make what's inside of you darkness. And when the light that is in you is dark, how great will the darkness be? I remember when I was a kid, um, I had a buddy. I used to go, we used to play catch at his house all the time. And then one day, um, I got over there a little early. He wasn't there. And so his younger brother and I went out. And so, DeMarv, throw me that football up here. All right? So you guys know David, right? David's a great athlete, is he? Is he not? Come on up here, David. Get that football and come on up here. Stand over here with me. All right? David Marvin. So we used to play catch, right? And uh, we, I, was, I was playing catch with this, uh, this buddy's friend of mine. But here's the thing. The first time that I started to play catch, move a little closer here into the light, David. All right? And this is just very simple. Here's what I want you to do. Because I, I, I didn't know this about my buddy's friend. But I had the football for the very first time and I went to throw it to him. And so David, do me a favor, just put a hand over one eye. Put it over, no, put, put your hand over one eye. All right, now here, catch that. No, here, now, David, come here, come here, come here. Hey, that was a bad pass. Put a hand over one eye. Put a hand over one eye. It's not that hard, catch that. Catch that. There you go, not bad. All right, he adjusted pretty quickly. All right, put a hand over one eye. Go ahead again, right there. No, there you go, all right, get out of here. All right, now look. But there, you okay? I'm sorry, man. <laughs> Come on, that's that. Now look, you look at Marv, he's a good athlete, right? But all of a sudden, all right, you cover up one eye, just one eye, okay? And all of a sudden, all his depth perception was thrown off. I took my football to my, my buddy's friend, uh, actually brother, and I fired it at him, and it just went, almost took his head off. And I go, what in the world just happened? And I go, what's wrong with you? I kind of said that to him. And then I realized that he had one eye that didn't work. When he was younger, uh, he and his brother one time were playing with a jump rope, and, and actually his brother, they were stretching it out. His brother let go of the jump rope and had a little elasticity, and it came, and the end of it just stung one eye, and it made him, in effect, completely blind in that one eye. You couldn't really tell it, but all of a sudden, I was like, man, you're not uncoordinated. I wasn't abusive towards him in my speech. I realized he didn't have what I had as a result of no fault of his own. It completely changed his ability to perceive things that came at him from a death perception. If you want to, just a little bit later tonight, man, seriously, just across the table with somebody, you know, get something out, something that won't hurt somebody, right? And just about five feet away, cover one eye and just toss it, and you'll say, whoa! And if you're a good athlete like David, you can adjust. This guy eventually learned to adjust a little bit and actually played high school baseball, if you can imagine that. But it affects you when you don't take in things and see things correctly. Let me just share this with you. This is true. The Bible in 1 Corinthians chapter 26 and, and following, I just want to read you some scripture, remnant. It says this about people who understand and perceive who God is, because this is the way we come to understand who God is. You're not laying in bed one night and you go, no, I believe if there's a God, he must be a holy, omnipotent, omniscient God. He must be um, so good and so fine that there's no way you could ever earn your way to him. And therefore, men despite all his striving, could never sanctify himself in such a way that he could present himself before this holy God. Therefore, there must be a time when God in his kindness would become uh, found in the form of a man and taking the form of a man and being in the likeness of a man. Even though he had no sin, he would go to a cross that God might pay a penal substitution to cover the sins of men, call atonement, draw them to him, and allow them by grace through faith to be redeemed. You didn't sit in bed and figure that out. God in his kindness 
revealed that story to you, and even more than that, gave you a tenderness towards it. 1 Corinthians says this, for consider your calling, remnant, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong and the base things of the world and the despised. God has chosen the things that are not so that he might nullify the things that are so that no man may boast before God. But by doing, but by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and then sanctification and redemption. So it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so when Paul would go to speak to people, he would start this way. And when I go sometimes to speak, I've been all over the world to speak and talk about the kindness of God for all men. I make it really clear. Hey, I'm not here to impart to you my own learning. I'm not here to impart to you certainly Western culture. I'm here to share with you the God of all men who loves you and wants you to flourish in your culture. I want you to know these truths. So this is how Paul would start. He would say, when I come to you, brethren, I don't come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, but I'm proclaiming to you the testimony of God. For I determined to know nothing among you except this, Jesus Christ and him crucified. When I'm with you, I'm with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my message and my preaching are not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. I'm just going to tell you the story. There's a God who loves you. And by the way, this is not just some myth and some fable. God dared to do what no other world religious system has done. And that is to anchor his story, not just there's historical figures. Buddha was a real historical figure. Leaders of Hinduism were real historical figures. The leaders of Mormonism are real historical figures. Muhammad was a real historical figure. But their writings and their revelation are nonsensical. And what I mean by that is you can't test them and verify them in the context of the story that they're written. They're descriptions of ideas and philosophies. The Quran is beautiful poetry, but you can't Test it like you can test the scriptures. Was there a king called David? Was there, um, was there a, 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 a leader called Pilate, a proconsul called Pilate? Was there a man named Jesus? Was there a, a, an account of his crucifixion? Was there an account of his resurrection? And the answer is yes. Not just by the eyewitnesses that are in scripture, which can't be discounted because they're reliable historical documents. But Tacitus, Secundus, Josephus, non-believers, non-followers testified to this miraculous event, which turned the world upside down. Paul is saying, I'm just relaying to you what God in his kindness anchored in history. And God in his kindness even pivots all of known human existence on the, on the birth and the death of this individual. Why? Because this individual matters. And you do well to pay attention to him. Paul says, all I'm going to do is tell, tell you the story. And by the kindness of God, I've come to believe the story and it has changed me. I'm no longer a religious person that's trying to make my way to heaven. I am now somebody that realized that heaven in his kindness has made its way to me. And I know that I am not perfect. And I believe if God exists, he must be glorious and perfect. And so it makes sense to me that no amount of human effort could ever build a resume that would be enough to please him. And that's what the historical figure Jesus said. You want to have fellowship with me? Then be perfect as I'm perfect. I tell you, he says, unless your righteousness surpasses the most devoted people of the day, you're not going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. In fact, when Jesus was speaking to those most religious people, he says this to them. In Matthew chapter 15, he's talking to them. And watch this, because Jesus is going to model for us one of the points a little bit later about how, how the remnant, the genuine piece of cloth, will speak the truth. There were some Pharisees and some scribes that, that came to Jesus. And they said, why don't you do what we traditionally do that makes us righteous? And Jesus responds, he goes, what makes you think your, tra your, your traditions will make you holy in my sight? Why do you transgress the commandments? Because you say things like this, honor your father and mother, 
And you say things like, you know, the commandment says, he who speaks evil of her father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, whoever says this to father or mother, whatever I have, would help you, but I've been giving it to God. They, they came up with a system basically within their tradition that what we're going to do as leaders of the temple is I'm not going to support my mother and father. I'm going to give to the temple treasury, which by the way, is my future savings account and that which I draw from to live by. And so instead of taking care of their father and mother, these religious leaders said, no, we have to give it to God. It's been sworn to God. So they wouldn't care for their immediate family. So in the name of religion, they could care more for themselves. And he said, this is not the way of God. You hypocrite. Rightly did Isaiah I prophesy of you. Listen to what Jesus says. You people honor me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. In vain do you say you exalt me because you teach as the doctrines of God, the precepts of men. Now, when the remnant speaks this way, I just want to show you this, this little preclude to where we're going. He, uh, his disciples say, Hey man, don't you know that when you said this, that that offended the Pharisees right there in verse 12, they didn't like it. And Jesus said, well, let me just tell you something. Every plant which my heavenly father did not plant, everything that's not rooted and grounded in a faith relationship with God is going to be uprooted. And he says this then, verse 14. Let them alone. They are blind guides of the blind. They don't see. And when a blind man leads a blind man, they both fall into a pit. And so Jesus is saying, you better make sure that the ones you're following are gonna really lead you to life indeed. And life indeed is not found through the traditions of men and the ways of men. No, life indeed is found through the one who has come to reconcile you to a holy God who said, I am God myself. And I'm gonna demonstrate to you what holiness looks like and I'm gonna demonstrate to you what love looks like because none of you are like me. And yet I'm going to take the punishment that is due you. So an infinitely holy and perfect God who, while he wants to love you, has to be infinitely just because God will never sacrifice one aspect of his character for another. And so God has come not just to show love, but to satisfy his own justice. Jesus says, I'm going to go to the cross for the glory of the Father, not just because I love you, but because I love the righteousness of the Father. And there's going to be an infinitely perfect sacrifice made for the Father so that the Father can then, in his kindness and justly, offer life to you. It's called the gospel. It's the good news, it's the great exchange that he made him who knew no sin to become sin on your behalf, that you might become the righteousness of God in him. That Jesus, though he was rich for your sake, became poor. That through his poverty, you might be made rich. Some of you come from pharisaical backgrounds where, where you still think that what you do is what's gonna make you acceptable to God. And God has gotta tune your hearts to grace. And everybody's hearing my words tonight, but some of you have never believed that you need a savior. Some of you have never abandoned your own will and way and said, Todd, I'll take the savior, Jesus Christ. I believe that, that, that there is one who has given his life for me and that God declared with power that Jesus is Lord by raising him from the dead. And by the way, you're not gonna just have the knowledge, okay? Because knowledge itself is not the same as seeing. Seeing is a spiritual gift. Men can get knowledge, but only the gift of seeing God and seeing that truth that knowledge talks about is for you is a gift of God. Jumping back to 1 Corinthians, Paul goes, goes on. He said, I'm gonna speak this wisdom in verse six, not just to those who are mature. I'm gonna speak a wisdom not of this age, but we speak God's wisdom, it's a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory. He's saying the story of Christ has been anticipated all through scripture, but now it's being revealed. The wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But then he says this, quoting from the Old Testament, things which eye hasn't seen, things which ear hasn't heard, things which don't even enter into the heart of men. All that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us, God revealed them through the spirit. For the spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of a man which is in him? Even so, the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. And watch about these amazing words, Remnant. 
Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But watch this, natural man doesn't have the ability to perceive that. It's a gift of God. Natural man does not accept the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them, because they are not spiritually Now listen, whenever you talk like this and you talk about the works that God is doing in grace, is some people go, well, how do I know I'm spiritually appraised? How do I know that God wants me to know those things? Here's the answer. All through scripture, whenever God talks about what's called efficacious grace, what's ever called, uh, what's ever meant by predestination or divine calling or election, God is saying to all men everywhere, come, I died for the sins of the world. But then he just says to everybody, listen, no one can come unless you're called. And you might go, well, how do I know if I'm called? The answer is come. Come. Come all who are weary and heavy laden. Come all who have experienced enough brokenness and who are sick and tired of being sick and tired, who don't just want to go and have a workspace religion where you attend spiritual services, but you know that if there is not a God who rescues you from sin and death and the spirit inside of you, which has a strategy and a plan which seems right to you, but you know is not working out, come all you who want a God who cares for you and loves you and wants to instruct you in the way that you should go, come. And when you come, It's like there's a huge banner here that says, come all you who are weary. And as you walk underneath it to the glory of God into his marvelous light and you turn around to thank him, you see on this side of the banner, only those who by the grace of God have been called of him. And I'm gonna just tell you with, with absolute certainty, if you are part of the remnant, it's because of the grace of God. It's not because you're smarter than anybody else or better than anybody else. And what I'm telling you Remnant is you ought to be the most humble people on the face of the earth. And you ought to not ever look at somebody and go, how could they do that? You know, I don't do that. Last night I was uh, here on Monday nights. We have this thing called regeneration. And I I always say this, the healthiest people at Watermark are folks that come to this thing on Monday night because it's a place that folks are looking to, to deal with the brokenness that's in their life. Some of it's physiological and psychological. Some of it is chemical dependency unhealthy emotional attachment to things or ideas or chemicals that have ruined their life. Last night, um, I I saw a guy standing there and not talking to anybody, so I just walked up and introduced myself to him. And uh, and I said, man, how you doing? Have you been here before? He said, no, I've never been here before. I said, well, welcome. He had no idea who I was. I just said, man, I'm so glad you're here. He goes, well, I'm not here for me. I'm here for my son. I go, what? Fantastic. So where's your son? He goes, well, he's in the restroom. And he goes, my, son is, my son's life is broken and I heard that he can get help here. His son was in his 20s, just like a, a, a lot of you. And, and when he came out, his son walked up literally like this, kind of sideways. And, and if I'm standing where that podium is, he, he kind of walked up like this. His dad was standing right here and I was there and his name was Jeffrey. I go, hey, hey, Jeffrey, how you doing? And he just, he couldn't even look at me. He was just like, I'm all right. And he kept doing this to me. And you know, I just, I just did this. I eventually just moved around to where he was and I got down. I go, hey, Jeffrey, man, look at me. I go, I have felt just like you where I couldn't lift my eyes up. I couldn't look at myself in a mirror. I certainly couldn't look at the holy God. I didn't want to look at anybody else. And I'm going to tell you what, this is what the Bible says about my God. Thou, O Lord, you're a shield around me. You're my glory and you're the lifter of my head. Jeffrey, look at me. Look at me, man. You're at the right place. God wants to lift you out of your guilt and shame. He wants to tell you how much he loves you. Jeffrey, look at me. Jeffrey. God loves you not because of anything you're gonna do, but because he's just that kind of good God and you're in the right place. Now, I have no idea if Jeffrey's gonna accept that offer of love, but I didn't look down on Jeffrey for a second because when I, I, I say all the time, and there with the grace of God go, I, I know that. Man, I'm gonna tell you something. Apart from Jesus Christ, I would ruin my life, ruin my wife's life. My kids would hate me. I'd be a porn addict. I'd be an adulterer. I'd be selfish and arrogant. I'd be a danger to all who met me. And yet the kindness of God has, has shown me how to flourish 
And by the grace of God, that's not my story. And it has nothing to do with me except that God gave me a tender heart to believe him, trust him, and to test his ways. I've got a buddy who said this to me, because he, he all but ruined his life. And he said, I spent the last 10 years of my life testing the warnings of God, and I found out that they are true. And I now purpose to spend the rest of my life to test his promises. That was a guy that embezzled over six figures from a, a brother that he uh, was working with. That this morning I was away on a staff retreat with this man who's been so redeemed, he's now a leader in ministry. And I've watched him test the promises of God. And I've seen the flourishing that's come to his life. And I invite you to join us. But let me just say this to your remnant. You ought to be the most humble people on earth. That you have already seen what one day the world's going to see. That the clouds are going to be rolled back like a scroll. And the king of kings who is raised from the dead, who is seated now at the right hand of God, who is God, is going to return immortal as God only wise. And every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And what they will confess is what the remnant already sees. And if you know that, you have a responsibility. What's the responsibility? The responsibility is this. The remnant shines when others are not. This was God's plan from the very beginning. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, he says this to the nation that he chose from amongst the nations. They were pagans like everybody else. They had systems of righteousness that made sense to men like everybody else. And God chose to reveal himself to a group of people so those people could walk with him and there would be such flourishing in their community that other nations would come to them and say, who are you people? Who is your God? And they wouldn't say, we're better than you, they would say, we want you to know our God because our God is your God. He is the only God who created the heavens and the earth. And he loves you. And so we're gonna be kind to you. Deuteronomy 4, now is there a listen to the statutes and the judgments which I'm teaching you to perform so that, watch why God gives us statutes and judgments because he's the loving father so that you might live and go in and take possession of the land which the Lord your God of your fathers is giving you. You shall not add to the word which I'm commanding you. Don't take away from it. You can't make it better. Don't make it worse. Keep my commands. Your eyes have seen what has happened to those who worship false gods. How God has destroyed people who trust in the wrong things. But you held fast to the Lord your God. You're alive today. Every one of you, you're living. You're full of life. You've not been killed or destroyed. See, I've taught you statutes and judgments just as the Lord my God commanded me. This is Moses talking, that you should do this in the land where you are entering to possess it. So watch what he says in verse six. So keep them, remnant, and do them, remnant. For that is wisdom. And you're understanding the sight of the people will hear all these statutes and say, surely this nation is a wise and understanding people. You see, why God wants you to live in subjection to his will and way is because when you live in subjection to his will and way and not influenced by the zeitgeist, by the culture of the day, by the way of your college campuses, by the way of your work-a-day world, or by the way of your materialistic city, but when you live with a, an eye that understands this world and why there's trouble in it and why there's betrayal in it and why there's temptation in it, and when you live with the wisdom of God who cares for you, people look at you and they may not like what you say and they may curse you because you tell them they're accountable to a holy God, but they will go, you are a wise and understanding people. Your marriages are better, your families are better, your dating lives are better. You sleep better. There is truth in your lives. This is 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. Keep your behavior excellent among those who don't know God, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, because they say you know truth and that there's only one set of truth, they may, because of the fruit of that truth in your life, as they observe them, Give glory to God on the day of visitation because they go, God, we knew you were real because we met people who say they knew you and we saw them flourish. And so the remnant shines. 
When Paul wrote a letter to a group of people who lived in a town called Philippi, he, he, he said this to him. He said, listen, man, don't do anything from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, consider one another as more important than yourself. Don't merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have in yourself the same attitude who, which was in Christ Jesus. And it goes on, describes the life of Christ, and it says, he became obedient even to the point of death, death on a cross. He gave himself away for others because he was the perfect embodiment of what God wanted man to look like. He was just like you. He was made in the likeness of a man, man, and he was found in appearance of a man, it says in Philippians 2, but he humbled himself. He didn't regard equality with God a thing to be held onto, but he said, no, I'm going to live as a man. I'm going to take on the form of man, and I'm going to live as a man, and I'm going to trust God, and I'm going to walk according to his ways. And he walked according to his ways, and he was glorious. And because he was so glorious, God said he's going to give him the name above all names, gave him the name above all names. That one day at the name of Jesus, as I've already said, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. And then it picks it back up. He says in verse 12, so then, in light of Jesus, in light of the beauty of Jesus, so then, my beloved, just as you've always obeyed, not just in my presence only, but, but more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Because do you know what's at stake? What's at stake is the world knowing who Jesus is. Notice what he didn't say there. He didn't say, therefore, my beloved brethren, work for your salvation because the remnant knows it can never earn a perfect God's love. It just says, in light of the love of the perfect God, make sure you walk with him. For it is now, if you have a relationship with God, remnant, it is God at work in you, both the will and the work for his good pleasure. What's God's good pleasure? That the world would see his goodness in you. That you don't live for your own pleasure, you don't live for your own fame, you live for the good of others, and they're gonna see in you the love of God. And so whatever you do, you do all without grumbling or disputing, verse 14. And then it says this in verse 15, watch, remnant, because the remnant shines when others are not shining. He says, prove yourself to be blameless and innocent, not so you can be saved, but because you have a relationship with the blameless and innocent God. You're childs of God, above reproach, who live in the midst of a crooked and perverse generations among whom you appear as lights in the world. The remnant shines when others do not. Let me ask you a question. If you were the only remnant on earth what would others think about the beauty of what your God creates? It is an amazing privilege to be somebody who gets to be God's ambassador, who gets to represent him to a watching world, who gets to say, I used to live the way you did, trusting in my flesh, following the course of this world, listening to the deceptive spirits of the age. But now I know that there is a God who is good and is true and who's loving, who doesn't want me to perform anything for him, but he calls me and invites me to walk in the blessing of his way and to have understanding about why there is hardship in the world. And so it is well with my soul. And I don't need to manipulate and abuse people I'm not a slave to my fleshly lusts, which wage war against my own dignity. I don't have to cope with my pain by numbing myself with medication or alcohol or other substances. I can look myself in the mirror and say, by the grace of God, the glory that he intended me as a male or a woman to live in, I am living in. And God is kind. Because in all the ways that I don't, his grace is sufficient for me. Remnant, do people see that in you? Do they see a humility in you? And do they see an attentiveness to his way? And are you bright and shining stars in the midst of a dark and perverse generation? Let me just throw this out to you because what do so many people say is the reason they don't believe in Jesus? They go, because his, his people are hypocrites. Let me just say something to you. When you sin, you're not a hypocrite. All of us, I've known Jesus for 30 plus years. I still, at times, don't trust in the Lord with all my heart. I don't not lean on my own understanding. I do. I follow my own way. And in doing so, I'm not being faithful in that moment as God's remnant. That doesn't make me a hypocrite. A hypocrite is not somebody who says that, that these are mistakes and makes those mistakes. A hypocrite is somebody who says these are mistakes, and then when they make them, says, well, they're not a mistake for me. 
Do you understand that? So remnant, we, we don't act like we don't sin. When we sin, we go, you know what? That, that was me again. What you just saw, that, that flash of anger, that surrender to lust, that insecurity, that tendency towards people pleasing. Can I just tell you something? That was me again. That was me not trusting in the kindness of my God that I know his ways are right and true. It doesn't make you a hypocrite when you sin. You're under judgment. That's what it literally means. Hippo, which means under, and kritos, which means to judge. Hypocrite. You're under judgment when you say that's wrong, and then you do it and go, well, it's not wrong for me. That's a hypocrite. So one of the ways you shine, do you know what one of my greatest ministries is? You know something I get to do to glorify God that Jesus never did? Is when I screw up, which Jesus never did, I get to own it. And I get to go to people and seek their forgiveness and restore the relationship and make amends. And I confess, the word confess means to agree. I agree, hey, that wasn't of God. And I don't just go and just say, hey, I'm sorry. You know what? When you say I'm sorry, you know what the right biblical response is when somebody screws up and goes, hey, I'm sorry. You know what you should say when somebody says that? You should go, well, I agree with you. That was a sorry thing to do. <laughs> but I've made lots of sorrowful choices in my life. And man, if, if now that you've declared that you're sorry, that what you did is wrong, I've already in my heart forgiven you. But if you want that transaction to be completed... Man, I'd love to forgive you, but just, just ask. And that means when you screw up with somebody else, you just go, hey, I'm sorry, that wasn't my best moment. You need to say, guys, I need to ask your forgiveness. And you won't use this language, but what you're saying is, because I'm part of the remnant, that no God's ways are good, and just then, I didn't do God's ways. And I'm sure it hurt you and probably even confused you. Will you forgive me? That's shining remnant. The remnant sees what others can't see. The remnant shines when others aren't shining. And the remnant speaks when others will not. It's about to get tough, people. Are you ready? Because this is what the remnant has to do. We have got to continue to speak. There, there is a problem in our culture today, and it's all around us. I mean, you see it like I told you at the very beginning. It's the final sign of imbecility in people when they call cats dogs and describe the sun as the moon. And you live in a day and age, and, and what you're really seeing, what's happening right now, what I'm going to call our transgender moment, and it's called a transgender moment because we're not going to hang here long. We can't hang here long. It is an unlivable world to say that gender is not binary, that it's a social construct. But one of the things that is happening right now is your generation has been educated and taught that if you're loving, you're going to let people do what they want to do, including to assign to themselves a gender that is inconsistent with their biological, God-given, glorious gender identity. And it is not loving to enable people in their dysphoria and in their confusion. You need to know something. There was not a sudden surge of scientific understanding of, of, of this reality called gender dysphoria and how we should treat it. No, this has been a progressive ideology of people who have come to steal, kill, and destroy, told by liars that are going to tell you that gender identity is distinct from bodily, biological assignment. And that you can know that you're something different than what your biological assignment is, even at a young age. And that the most kind thing that you can do is to begin to give people hormones and therapy to help them pursue a different gender than they're assigned to. And in fact, they're going to tell you that preventing or delaying that transition can lead to really serious psychological harm and perhaps even inducing suicide in those people. And I need to tell you something. It's a lie. Listen, tolerance in personal relationships is a virtue, but tolerance where truth is concerned is a travesty. Despising people because they're not good and perfect is not good. But saying that everything is equally good and perfect is despicable and not loving. And one of the things the remnant does 
is they don't confuse loving what others do with loving others. They are kind, they are wise, they are a friend, but they speak the truth, even if the world doesn't like it. Guys, you need to know that, that you know, for so long, what did you get on the remnant about? Like, oh, you remnant people, you're all, you're all, you're people of faith. You're not about science. As if there's some contradiction between, um, between science and faith. They go, I'm a reasonable person. Well, the opposite of reason is not faith. The opposite of reason is irrationality. The opposite of faith is non-belief. What's so interesting is for years, they came across the remnant and they said, you're just not scientific people. And now if there's anything that science is certain about is that this is a male and this is a female. They go, well, yeah, don't be so bigoted. Because it has nothing to do. It never did with science. It has everything to do with the desire to do what thou wilt. And the remnant is not going to be silent. A remnant is going to continue to speak. A remnant is going to do it in love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses of an enemy. The remnant speaks when others will not. And I'm going to tell you, there was a, um, a lady by the name of Elizabeth Noel Newman. Elizabeth Noel Newman was a, a Nazi propagandist. She, she actually wrote for um, fascist newspapers, and she advanced um, fascist ideology. And and and. Once the war was over, she made her way, actually became a professor um, you know, in the States, and she actually wrote a book in 1974 called The Spiral of Silence, and, and she admitted the errors of some of the ideology which she represented, but she said, you need to know something. This is how a country gets like Germany. Edmund Burke said this um, centuries before Germany. He said, all that is required for evil to persist is for good men to do nothing. The remnant are the good. Elizabeth Noel Newman said, what you do in the spiral of silence is, is that you, um, you ridicule. Ridicule is one of our most potent weapons. We, mar- we marginalize opponents. We personalize and polarize the target. We undermine their legitimacy. We make a certain group of people look stupid or evil. We call them anti-science, bigots, delusional. We mock them. What happens is we start to have progressive elites say things that are out there. And most people will say, well, that doesn't really affect me. There's a famous phrase by somebody who said they, they came for the trade unionists and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a trade unionist. They came for the Catholics and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a Catholic. They came for the homosexuals and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a homosexual. They came for the Jews and I didn't speak up because I wasn't a Jew. And then they came for me, but nobody spoke up because nobody was left. And what loving people do is they see somebody else being oppressed. And whether they're part of that oppressed group or not, if it's unjust and wrong, they speak up. And even though they're part of the the majority culture who's not being attacked, they go, I'm not going to let this power attack that person. And they might get thrown into the people being attacked. But most people won't do that. They take a, hey, this is not going to affect me mentality. And what happens is over a period of time, people start to watch and they don't want to be out of step with what continues to be now the louder and louder and louder narrative. Until finally, only one or two people speak up and when they speak up, they are ridiculed, they're called stupid or evil, they're polarized, they're attacked, and then everybody else goes, well, I'm not going to speak up. And then when nobody speaks up, everybody else looks around and goes, you know, this doesn't look right to me. But since nobody else is speaking up, I guess it's right. And next thing you know, that spiral of silence, even though it started with a very small group of powerful people, it becomes the narrative of the land. The remnant cannot let that be so. The remnant speaks. It's your job. It's your privilege. It's the most loving thing you can do. Just to give you some science, I mean, if you don't understand what's going on, I mean, Vanderbilt University did a study Given time, kids that are being told that if you're, um, if you're loving, you'll let yourself express yourself however you want, which has never in the history of civilization been the narrative that you should let kids define reality. 
But these kids that maybe are starting to feel stuff at a young age, probably because society's telling them that they should feel that way, and they're seeing all kinds of pictures of folks feeling that way, it says if you just let them alone, 80 to 95% of them will spontaneously reverse back to what is their biological gender. They did a study in, in, in Sweden at the Karolinska Institute. They looked at people who actually went through gender transition. They followed over 30 years, 324 people had sex reassignment surgery. They found out that decades after their surgery, not only were they no happier than those who didn't make the transition, but they were 20 times more likely to take their life. Folks, this is just one of the many examples where we go like, gosh, who am I to tell somebody that how they feel isn't right. Listen, I've, I've said it a thousand times, feelings are real, they're not reliable. You don't follow your heart, you inform your heart. You don't conform yourself to the culture, you're transformed by the renewing of your mind. So you don't do, do what seems right to man, but in the end, it leads to death. This is what God's word says. As he went to young Jeremiah and said, Jeremiah, I'm gonna call you. I'm gonna make you part of my remnant. You're gonna be a prophet. You're gonna bring forth truth because it's loving. Jeremiah was not wild about the idea, but in verse 17 of Jeremiah chapter one, he says, Jeremiah, gird up your loins and arise. You're the remnant. Speak to them all which I command you. Don't be dismayed before them or I will dismay you. Watch, remnant, this is your job. Behold, I have made you today as a fortified city, as a pillar of iron, as walls of bronze against the whole land. I want you to speak to kings. I want you to speak to princesses. I want you to speak to princes who will tell you every kind of crazy thing coming out of American pulpits. I want you to speak to the people because you're the remnant. The remnant speaks, but the remnant stands when others cannot. And the reason is for verse 19 of that same little section where it says this, listen, you need to know something, Remnant, they're gonna fight against you. But they will not overcome you because truth is on your side. God plus one is a majority. The game is fixed. Wisdom will vindicate itself by her deeds. They will fight against you. They will not overcome you for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. When Jesus was talking to his disciples, you know, he said, listen, I'm going to send you out as sheep among wolves. Now, I don't know if you know much about sports mascots, okay? But you typically don't call yourself the New York bunnies, right? Um, or, 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 you're, or you're not the Dallas koala bears, right? You're not the St. Louis hamsters. You, you typically don't take small creatures that are cuddly and warm, right, and make a mascot out of it. So Jesus says, here's the deal. Okay, guys, hey, we're going to be the sheep. All right? And we're going to be in competition day in and day out against the wolves. You're kind of like, hey, can we, can we come up with a different mascot? <laughs> Jesus says, no, you just need to know something, man. You're sheep because you're going to follow the shepherd's voice. And there are wolves that are out there. And you just need to know something. I'm a good shepherd. I'll give my life for the sheep. I'm not telling you that there aren't going to be some days that the wolves ravage the sheep. I'm going to let some of the sheep be led to slaughter. And when they die, they need to die a certain way with a certain confidence so that the wolves start to think, these sheep must know something that we don't know. <laughs> 1987, there was a movie that came out, The Princess Bride. Do you remember that movie? <laughs> Who doesn't love it? Do you remember that scene when Inigo Montoya and Wesley were in a sword fight? Right? I love it because they're sitting there. It all starts with, you know, they're up there, they're fighting, and, and a nigga says, you're using Benetti's defense on me. And he says, well, of course. It's only fitting given the rocking terrain. And then they, they go off a little bit more, and eventually a nigga says, you are wonderful, right? Wesley says, thank you. I've worked hard to become so. And then what's the nigga say? He says, I admit it. You are better than I am. And then Wesley says, then why are you smiling? And the nigga says, because I know something you don't know. I am not left-handed, Right? And then he fires the sword off to the other side. And so they keep fighting. And then after a little bit while, uh, Inigo says to um, the other guy, he says, you're amazing. And he said, I ought to be after 20 years. He said, but there's something I ought to tell you. I'm not left-handed either. It's a great scene. I love that. Why are you smiling? Because, hey, this isn't my home, man. And I get it that sometimes wolves eat sheep, but when you devour the sheep, I'm not done. Watch, this is what Jesus told them right after he said, you're gonna be sheep amongst wolves. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus talking to his disciples and he says this, starting in verse 24, he says, guys, you need to know something. A disciple's not above his teacher. It's enough for a disciple to become just like his teacher because 
uh, a slave like his master. If they've called me, the head of the household, a devil, how much more will they malign the members? Therefore, though, don't fear them, for there is nothing that is concealed that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the darkness, speak in the light. What you hear whispered in your ear, proclaim it on the housetops. The housetops. And I can tell you, in this situation, Jesus, I'm sure, is watching his disciples go, this is not going to be pretty. And I think in this moment, all right, a little bit of, I'm going to stick myself into the story a little bit. I think Jesus went, hey, sheep, hey, 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 don't lose heart. I just told you it's going to get nasty. But don't fear them. Because I'm going to tell you something. You don't need to fear the one who's able to kill the body but not the soul. You rather fear the one that's able to destroy both body and who's going to cast the soul and the body in hell forever. That's me. Don't fear him. The remnant stands when nobody else stands. One of my favorite stories is of a guy named Hugh Lattimore. Hugh Lattimore was an English farmer, just, just a, 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 a young man, but he became part of the remnant. He was a remnant during the time of Henry VIII. Henry VIII um, acted like a spiritual man, wanted to have a relationship with the church, but what Henry VIII wanted was to be his own king and not have God who was his king. And so when Henry tired of his first wife, he wanted a second. And he went through a whole charade to get his first marriage annulled. He bought off priests that were not part of the remnant, but that were wolves in sheep's clothing. And Henry's corruption became legendary. But praise God, there was a remnant in the form of an English farmer that stood up to him. It was a New Year's Day that Hugh Lattimore was asked to come speak to Henry VIII, and his text in Hebrews 13, 4 was this. He said, whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. And then he taught from Luke chapter 3, where he said that when John the Baptist came forth, um, he, he, he looked at... Uh, people that went through a charade of baptism and he said, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. That same John, later, he told Henry VIII, stood before Herod and he told Herod that his taking his brother's wife to be his own wife was not lawful. It enraged the king. And he demanded that, that Lattimore um, repent of what he just said in the king's presence. He said, I'm going to give you another chance to stand before me. And when Lattimore stood back before Henry VIII, he said this, Hugh Lattimore, does thou know before whom thou art to speak this day? He, in a sense, took third person. I'm, I am to speak to the high and mighty monarch, the king's most excellent majesty. Who can take away thy life if he offends him? Therefore, Hugh, take heed that thou speak not a word that might displease the king. And then consider well, Hugh, that if you do this, when you come upon this message that you're sent to give, that the great and mighty God might give you grace. But this king surely won't give you grace. The one who beholds your ways presently, this one who is able to kill you, but Hugh, you stand and speak with the God who is able not to destroy the body that that king can, but cast the soul into hell wants you to do, and you speak forth true to him. And he did that. The king went crazy. It wasn't long before Hugh Lattimore found himself tied to a stake, about ready to get burned with his friend. And when he walked to the stake to get burned, Hugh Lattimore turned to his friend and he just said this. He said, Nicholas, take heart, play the man, because we shall this day light a candle by God's grace in England, as I trust shall never be put out. And then God's sheep was burned at the stake. And it started a revival. And it stiffened the spines of others because somebody did what the remnant should do, graciously but boldly. Look, guys, I don't know where this thing is headed. I heard a guy say this one time. He said, I think I'm gonna probably die in my shame because I'm gonna be criticized and called intolerant and called old-fashioned and out of step with the times, I think my successor will probably die in chains and I think his successor will probably die in flames. But mark my word, his successor will pick up the ashes and will restore a godly generation. 
The remnant should be humble because it sees things that only God can let them see. The remnant should shine because they live in a way that only people who are associated with a holy God can shine. The way they date, the way they suffer, the way they speak, the way they love. The remnant speaks. And the remnant stands firm because it knows that even if they're burned at the stake, to die is gain. Paul said, it's better for you if I remain. But if you want to send me to glory, send me to glory. But while I'm here, I will live for the glory of my king who lived and died for me. Can I tell you, I'll just close with this. I buried a friend who was a graduate of the Naval Academy on Friday. And at the end of the wedding, um, I, I do that all the time. I call funerals weddings because that's exactly what it is for believers. It's your homecoming, man. Your bridegroom's ready. At the end of the funeral, um, they played a song that I'm about to play for you. And, and there was in that room a bunch of Navy SEALs, a bunch of others that had graduated from the academy. And when the song started, it, it's the Navy alma mater that if you're a graduate of Annapolis, you know, you sing. And they all got up, and there's about 10 of those men that came and stood around the bride. And I remember looking at those guys, and one of my great regrets in life is that I didn't serve our country the way godly and faithful, strong men serve our country, strong women serve our country. I, I never had that as part of my story. And I remember sitting there longing to be a guy that could have stood up with those Navy SEALs and those midshipmen that had sacrificed by the sea to be trained to sail on waters and defeat evil. I want you to put yourself back in that funeral for a second, and then I, I close with the last statements. But this song was played, and imagine getting to stand up when it was done. Watch this. Something just haunting about the Navy Glee Club when they sing that, it just makes you, I saw those men stand behind that widow. And I thought to myself, I serve in a much more noble army than that. And as much as I would have wanted to, to be through some of the tours of duty that those guys were in the Philippines and Afghanistan and on all the seas, I thought to myself, nope, right now I'm part of the remnant, man. I am serving something even more noble than that. And when my, my king at the end of the day is worship and the alma mater of the remnant is sung, I will stand and by the grace of God, as I walk with him, as a soldier who doesn't entangle himself in the affairs of everyday life in order that I might please the one that enlisted me as a soldier, I will stand and I will be glad that by the grace of God I have seen, that by the grace of God I served, by the grace of God I spoke in a winsome way with my speech seasoned with salt as it was and I stood firm and if I die in flames, I pray that God will use it to light a candle that the entire world will see. There is nothing more noble than being the remnant. When the remnant serves the kind and benevolent and true, all-powerful king. This world needs a remnant. It is calling cats, dogs, girls, boys, and lies truth. And humans do not flourish under lies. If you, by the grace of God, have come to know the truth, live as if you know the truth. Speak gently but courageously before any king because you stand firm for yours. Let's go. Father, I pray we'd be the remnant. I pray if there's any in here tonight that has had a confusing understanding about what it is that you want from us, if they've been confused to think that they've got to serve long and nobly in order to possibly be admitted into your family, I pray that, that you would shake them out of that and understand that all you do is call broken sinners and just say, are you sick and tired of drowning in the sea of human despair? Then come to me and I will restore the glory that is lost. I will make beauty from your ashes. I'll make you my remnant. I'll call you out of darkness into my marvelous light and I'll make you as a shining star in the midst of a dark and perverse generation I'll put in you a heart of courage. I'll put on your lips words that are true. 
I will clothe you in dignity and honor and compassion and kindness and boldness. I will give you the ability to take heart in the midst of those that seek our life because you know that this world is not your home. Oh, Father, what a privilege that grace would enlist us in your family. And what a privilege to be shepherded by you as your sheep. Would you help us not just to sing songs, but to have our heart filled with the spirit of truth, that we might be a remnant indeed for the glory of our King until he comes. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together.